Hello, Fostering Conversations listeners. I am Liz Rivera with Utah Foster Care, flying solo today. Deborah Lindner, our chief pilot, will be back with us soon. We are so excited about the community we are building and the conversations we are having. Our podcast is one year old this month. In honor of that one year anniversary, we are re-releasing our very first episode. Because June is National Reunification Month, we really wanted a conversation highlighting this important work. And we were so lucky to be joined by Candace, a mom whose children were in foster care, and Jamie, the foster mom who cared for Candace's children. The relationship that developed between Candace and Jamie is what all of us in child welfare really hope for. Reunification is an ongoing conversation and we have and will continue to discuss it beyond this episode as it is the primary goal of foster care. We have some other important conversations coming up, including talking with LGBTQ youth who have been in foster care, the First Star Academy and how to encourage youth in their education, an episode dedicated to learning more about trust-based relational intervention or TBRI, and next month, we'll be joined by the Department of Health to talk about the Teen Speak program and how to develop positive, strong relationships with our teens. Before we get to the episode, I want to give a quick update on in-person classes. Right now, we are looking at the end of summer to start offering in-person pre-service and in-service classes again. We are so excited to see your faces. Stay in touch with your regional folks from Utah Foster Care to hear the latest. And now... Let's get to this wonderful episode that highlights the role of the foster parent and the relationship with a child's parent in successful reunification. This is Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care, where we have insightful conversations about parenting for bio, foster, adoptive, or blended families to better understand the experiences we all face as families. Today we're tackling the subject of the main goal of foster parenting, that is reunifying children with their biological families. Our guests today include Jamie, a foster mom from Northern Utah. Jamie fostered two young children and she recently reunified them with their biological mother, Candace. Candace also joins us today. Jamie and Candace, welcome. We're also happy you agreed to share your very personal experiences, experiences which I think really tell the story about what foster parenting is all about. Let's start with our third guest, Liz Rivera. Liz is Director of Education for Utah Foster Care. She and her team of five full-time trainers and a whole bunch of part-time trainers have an important task. Their task is to train everyone who wants to become foster parents around the state. Liz, I know one of the common concerns that we hear from prospective foster parents is, how can I bring a child into my home, nurture that child for months and even years, love them, and then see them return back to their uh, biological families? How do you approach this in training? A couple of things. Um, first, we always acknowledge that uh, difficulty, but we also um, acknowledge the importance of that difficulty. If somebody could have a child in their home and in their care for months, even maybe years, and let them go and not feel horrible about that, not, not be heartbroken to some degree, um, 
I mean, maybe I shouldn't say horrible, but, but heartbroken to some degree, that is concerning. So I always tell people, if you're, if you're going to feel bad when the kids leave, that's a good thing. We want you to feel bad when the kids leave because that means you love them. And then we try to stress from the very beginning that reunification is the goal of foster care, that when children um, need to come into foster care for their immediate uh, safety, um, that the, the goal is to put families back together, not break them up. And so we stress that from the very beginning. And often I refer back to a, a, a campaign we did years ago um, about strengthening families and being a branch in someone else's family tree. And that's always really stuck with me that I want these families to be as excited about putting a family back together as they would about the potential of adoption and to be and to feel really good about that opportunity. And I, we always stress, too, that there's two facts they always have to keep in mind when doing foster care. The first one is that our kids' well-being will always be linked to the well-being of their family of origin, regardless of the outcome of the case. So um, these kids are never going to be separated from their parents. Um, even, if it, even if they're legally separated, they won't be separated emotionally, and we always need to remember that. And then the second thing is that the less people kids have to lose, the better kids do. So we want kids to not have to lose people in their lives, whether that's um, going back to their biological family and still having contact with the foster family, or if it does turn out to be adoption, that the adoptive family is open to a, a conversation and relationship with that biological family. And I can imagine that this, even though foster parents may have heard it in the initial process, that even once coming into training, this is, this is something that they've got to get used to hearing and hearing over and over again. Yeah, and we stress it every class it comes up, and every class we stress it, the importance of that. Well, the, the next person I think I want to hear from is Candace. Candace, you're the mother of two children, and they had been placed in foster care. What were your feelings and concerns initially going into this whole process? Well... I'm going to be honest, um, I had problems about seven years ago, and I didn't get reunification with my daughters, and I was terrified this time around. I'm like, not not because of who had my kids, but because of me. Was I going to be strong enough to do what I needed to do? And I, I had to go to jail for eight days. Um... And that just turned me around completely. Me and Jamie started talking more, and got to, I got to know her, and she is wonderful. Um, she's helped me with so much. And I would never, like I told her, I would never let, not let her see the kids. I am so grateful and thankful. She has taught me so much, even with just trying to parent my little boy, because he's a handful. Um, she's even offered to watch him when I have to go to work and she's just amazing. Um, so what, so what did, what did, uh, Jamie say to you in some of those first conversations that, that made you feel at ease, that made you feel like you could trust her? Well, I remember the, the very first thing she said is I'm here for you. Is there anything that I can do to help you to make this, to get through this? And just always been there, you know, if I've needed anything. Um, and I never had that before with, with my other kids. So this is night and day difference. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful for her. Jamie, do you remember those uh, first conversations you had with Candace? 
Um, I absolutely do. I do remember telling her um, from the very beginning, you know, asking her if there's anything that I could do to support her or encourage her along the way because I wanted to be that encouragement and support for her. Um, and I, I think I let her know on a couple occasions that I was praying for her too. And then I did want to see her get her kids back and I was rooting for her. Um, and it was just nice to be able to, to be there alongside with her as she, as she made the changes that she needed to make. Now you and your husband have been foster parents for how many years? Um, only about a year and a half. This was actually our very first placement. Initially, they were with us for five weeks, and then they went to kinship um, for about three and a half months, and that didn't work out, and then they came back to us. So they were with us, I think, about 10 months, um, that second stretch, before they were reunified with Candace. So when you and your, your husband first talked about being foster parents, and then you decided to call and you started the training, what was your mindset going into this? Initially, I just really wanted to help children. I think that was where my heart was at, is that there's children out there that could not be with their biological families for whatever reason. And my heart was just to help children in need. When I very first took placement of these two little ones, I was so nervous. I had never been a foster parent before. I didn't have any experience to fall back on. So I really didn't know what to expect. Um, I do know that I wanted to try to form a relationship with their mother, with Candace, because I knew I would definitely want someone to treat me with kindness and respect. I knew that I could do that for her. I didn't know how the case would turn out, but I knew that I could be, be friendly. And I, if I were in her shoes, like I said, I would want someone to do the exact same thing for me. And I think that it helped her to, you know, get through those tough days, knowing that her kids were taken care of, that I was rooting for her, um, and that I really truly did want the best for her and for the kids, and that I wanted them to be back together eventually. And do you feel like by going through the, the training for foster parents, you got the information you needed? What was said in those trainings that really had an impact on you? I definitely do feel like I got the information that I needed. When we first went into fostering, you know, there was on the back, back of our minds, you know, maybe this would lead to adoption or something like that. Um, and definitely trainings um, kind of helped turn my mind to the support of biological families more so than um, trying to adopt a child. That definitely was so helpful for me, helpful for me to see that these children need their families. They need their biological families. And if we can support them in any way possible, you know, a lot of biological parents don't have people on their side. They don't have people that believe in them, that are good influences for them. And if you can be that influence for a biological family, that's the type of person that you should be. That's the type of mindset that you should have going in as a foster parent is that these children need their parents and any way possible that you can encourage that relationship and be a positive encouragement for the parents is, is definitely a bonus. Liz, anything uh, to add to that as a trainer? Just that piece that she said, you know, these kids need their parents. I think that, you know, the, um, June is National Reunification Month, and one of the taglines is foster care is a support for families, not a substitution for families. And that, you know, that's the message we want to give is that foster care is an opportunity to really help um, another family. 
it's not an opportunity to substitute for that family. And I think that you know what Jamie and Candace are talking about is exactly what we hope to see happen, and it's it's the ideal outcome. Now, Jamie, you had biological children of your own going into this, right? Yes, I do. Okay, so you'd been you'd been a parent. I know some foster parents coming into this have not been parents before. In fact, we do have a lot of people that go into this actually looking to grow their family through adoption. And that makes this a little, you know, touchy, a little more touchy. Um, Liz, how do you, how do you handle that in training? Yeah. And that, and that is a, it is a delicate (laughs) balance because there are times where kids do need an adoptive family. If for whatever reason, their family of origin isn't able to meet the criteria to get the kids back safely. If the kid, and then if the kids can't go to kin safely, then we do, then adoption does become a, a wonderful thing to be able to do for a child to provide that family for them. Um, but we always want to stress that that is the last outcome we're, we're, we're going for and we're hoping for. And sometimes that's what has to happen and it can be the best thing that has to happen in any given case. But it's not, it's not the thing we want to have happen at the outset of any case. We're asking families to do, keep, you know, have these kids in their home, love them as if they were their own and yet also worked really hard to get them back to their family of origin. One of our uh, foster moms explained it like this. She said, it's like dating somebody who's married and working, ha- helping them work on their marriage <laughs> while you're dating them, hoping that maybe you get to marry them. And so it's this really weird thing. And yet families like you know, Jamie, and I think it's all about the relationship. You know, When Jamie and Candace can form that relationship, Candace you know, becomes an important part of this story. It's not we're not just focused now on, you know, the children separate from Candace. We're thinking about the children in relationship to Candace and understanding that if I really want what's best for these kids, I got to want what's best for their mom. And if they can be together safely, that's the best thing for everybody. Like Jamie said, these kids need their parents. And I've also heard from other foster parents that it, there comes a time when they have that aha moment, when they you know, they may come into this thinking, oh, we want a cute little baby to grow our family, and it's all about us and fulfilling our needs. And then, aha, no, this is about the children. This is about the children in foster care. And I, th- I think also it has to do with knowing the biological parents have, have not always had the most functional life also. And Candace, I don't know how much you're willing to talk about your life, and but what would you like people to know about you and what led to your kids going into foster care? Well, <clears throat> I got addicted to pain medicine. And I got, when I had the baby, my baby's uh, one right now, uh, the cord blood tested positive. So they took the babies, both of them. Um, it was very, it was scary, like I said, because I had that before, and I, I just wanted to give up right at the beginning, because it was such a horrible experience that I didn't even want to try to do it again. But then, things just kind of started falling into place, and in like two months' time, I zoomed, like, almost had the kids back in like three months. So, I don't know. I guess if you just put your mind to it and make your sobriety your number one priority, I think I think it'll get easier for anybody out there as long as they, they make their sobriety very first priority. 
And I might mention that opioids have, um, you know, the opioid crisis of a few years ago really saw an increase of kids in foster care. Um, people, people all over the United States and all over Utah um, were, you know, becoming addicted to opioids. And um, there were a lot more children in foster care um, at that time. Liz, did you have something you wanted to say about this as well? I just wanted to ask Candace, because um, you mentioned, you know, the previous experience, and I can only imagine, um, I'm going to start to cry, just your, your grief that came up again, and your fear. And, you know, what, what was different this time than seven years ago? What, were, um, were the different resources, different life experiences? There was. I, I, I had a horrible caseworker okay. before. And I really think that's one of the things that will make or break you for sure, because I couldn't do anything to be on her good side. Like I was trying to get her to okay me or okay for me to UA without my ID and she turned it down and then I lost my kids that next day. Mm -hmm. Like I just couldn't get ahead with her for anything. And then when I had to sign my rights over, there was supposed to be a six months to a year, no contact, and then introduce the kids back in. And that never happened. Mm -hmm. It's been seven years now. So there was supposed to be some kind of mediation when you voluntarily relinquished that would have allowed some contact. Yes. But the foster, the adoptive family didn't follow through with that. Nope. And the weirdest thing is, is they're with my soon to be ex-husband's family. And um, I haven't seen them, neither has he. I know makes, they're yeah. taken care of, and that's what holds me together, but it doesn't make it any easier sometimes. Yeah. Have you thought about maybe when they come and find you when they're older and maybe the conversations you might have with them? Oh, yeah. I've, sent, I've saved every birthday card, every Christmas card. I have everything I need um, to, so they know that it wasn't all me that I was trying. It just didn't work out. So if there, there is one thing that, you know, foster parents come to know in this whole process is that bio parents are people too, and um, they can change. Jamie, I know you probably talked to other foster parents. And um, again, is this is this something that foster parents have to come around to by diving into it? I think so. I think that if you have the mindset that, um, just as you said, that bio parents are people too, you know, they do deserve to be treated with kindness and they do deserve to be respected. They do deserve to have their stories told and heard. Then, then yeah, we can get to know them. We can have them, you know, as part of our team working together to get these children back home. And I know that the relationship that I had built with Candace definitely was what kept me going. There was sometimes, you know, during this whole journey where we were talking about this little boy, he, he definitely pushed some buttons. He definitely tested a lot of boundaries. And I, there was a lot of days where I'm like, I just, you know, I'm, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And um, I was, I was so close to throwing in the towel. I think I was literally like, you know, a day away from, you know, I got, I can't do this anymore. I have, you know, this, this, these children have to go someplace else. And I thought about Candace and I thought about 
the relationship that I had built with her and how in her story, and I, I knew her background, I knew the story of her other children, and I knew how far she'd come already so far. And I looked at all of that and it's like, I can't, I can't give up on her, you know, and I can't give up on these kids because, because it's hard. Um, and it, it really was the relationship that I had, that I had built with her that kept me going. I, I did not want to disappoint her and I did not want to let her down. So we trudged on and I, I kept encouraging her as much as I possibly could. And I kept loving on her kids and dealing with those tantrums as much as I could. And, um, and I am, I'm so, so grateful. I'm, I, I said it was a privilege for me to be a part of her story. And it, it really is. It's, it's, it's almost humbling to be in this position to see her get her children back, knowing everything that she's gone through, knowing that she had other children that, that were not reunified with her, that this time was different for her. And I'm just so humbled that I was part of this story. What, what has going through this whole process done for your, your whole family as a whole, Jamie? There's definitely been a lot of ups and downs. We definitely have a lot of fun stories and we definitely have a lot of, oh man, you remember that moment? That was crazy. <laughs> I definitely think it has helped all of us grow and all of us see the world in a bigger picture. You know, that there are so many families out there that, that don't look like our family. There's, you know, there's, there's families that have their ups and downs and like we all do, but it's for us, it has helped us grow and change. And I think to be more compassionate toward people, to give people the benefit of the doubt and to be more loving toward people because everybody needs, everybody needs that. They just need to be loved. You're right. I am a non-social worker type. I came into Utah foster care, you know, not knowing a whole lot about uh, the whole world of foster care. And also, I mean, how to deal with difficult behaviors. I don't know, Liz and Jamie, maybe talk a little bit about, you know, how, how Utah foster care supports foster parents and just learning about how the brain works, how perhaps the behaviors they're seeing in those children, that there's something more underneath. One thing I was thinking about was listening to Jane is that, uh, you know, you've had, and both you and Candace have had this experience in parenting this little boy who maybe is, is, is wired in a way that makes him a little more challenging and that, you know, that that's a, a way that you guys continue to bond and support each other is in Jamie, I guess, giving ideas to Candace and Candace talking about what's worked for her and that you guys really are kind of tag teaming and that this little guy has uh, more people in his corner now because, because you guys have parented him. You both have parented him. That has definitely happened. Even post reunification here, she's mentioned a couple times that he's, you know, having a rough day or really being defiant. And I have shared things that have worked for us so that he gets a little bit of a control himself, but not so much that he's, you know, running wild with it, but he can choose for himself to, you know, calm some of the tantrum behaviors and some of the things that worked in our home. And I, I shared those with her. So it's, it's definitely been a tag team effort. And definitely when, you know, we we're still working this case and I would say things to her too about some of the stuff that she was doing. And she would, she would tell me some of the things that she had done with him at home too, that he enjoyed. Talking again about behaviors. One thing that I've learned is that just because a child may, may have tantrums when they come into your house, being able to not take it personally and see it as this is a result of, you know, being 
separated from their mom. I mean, there's, there's always underlying reasons for the behavior that may have nothing to do with you as a foster parent. Yes, definitely. And I know that the training that we went through with Utah Foster Care was definitely helpful in that aspect. More recently, the, um, some of the classes focusing on the TBRI, the Trust-Based Relational Intervention, those have been super helpful. I've used those techniques on my own children when they're having <laughs> some issues. So that learning those techniques and learning that um, type of training and, and kind of nurturing that brain development for a child has been so helpful. So I'm very grateful for that resource, especially. You know, I, I don't know, Candace, if you went through any parenting classes, but I feel like that's one area where maybe we aren't still providing enough resources for bio families is that I think there's a ton of training, great training for foster families, which is super important. And I yeah. would love to have <laughs> bio families be able to access some of that same information with your kids. Yeah. And like Jamie said, the TB, is it TBRI? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Explain a little bit about to, we don't just train you to become a foster parent at Utah Foster Care and then leave you on your own. Um, Liz, talk a little bit about the, the ongoing training because one thing as a biological parent I know is that I wish I'd gone through ongoing training to learn about, you know, different things that come up. Yeah, and I think uh, we just actually had this conversation today that the, the initial training that foster families go through is really designed to help them decide whether or not they want to become a foster parent, not to teach them everything there is to know about being a foster parent. And so we know that when folks finish pre-service, that there's still a lot to learn and a lot will happen in the doing. I'm sure Jamie learned more really in her home, in her um, relationships than ever happens in a classroom. But to support that ongoing learning that they're ha that's happening while they're doing it, we have the mentor program where we team up a experienced foster parent with a new one. So they have somebody to help them through really specific issues. And then we offer a myriad of, of other classes as well, most of which are online right now and probably will be for the foreseeable future. Um, and we try to stay in contact with the foster family community to uh, find out the gaps in, in resources or knowledge that they have so that we can really tailor the in-service training we offer to meet those needs. So instead of just us thinking up, we think this would be a great training um, to really stay in contact with foster families and try to tailor the training to the needs that they have so that it's helpful for them. And one way we also do that is through support groups of foster families all around the state. So even if you live in, in Blanding or Moab or Vernal, there's a support group of the local, local foster parents that are there to support you. And, you know, I think this is one of the most important parts about the ongoing support because we heard if um, if someone's not another foster parent, they they don't truly understand what you're going through. And so, um, as you said, right now we're doing everything online. We have uh, the support groups online. I would say maybe even meeting more frequently than they used to because during this pandemic, we all need more support. And then um, we also offer training through those support groups and. They're all over the state, and foster parents tell us that's a lifeline. That's a lifeline for you. I'd love to hear Candace just maybe on the on the the sign off. What would you say to a brand new foster family who's just finishing, or maybe a foster family that's in the midst of, of reunifying and maybe they're struggling? What what advice? What insight would you maybe offer them? Well, maybe please hold on a little longer if it's if it's frustrating. 
I know I'm sure I'm sure it's frustrating, but try to hold on a little longer. That's great advice. Thank you. Jamie, any uh, any advice that one or two things you'd say for anyone listening to this who's considering becoming a foster parent? Um, I think if you have the heart for helping children and most specifically for helping families, then I think that you should maybe look into fostering, but know that there in the end you might send children back to their biological family. You may never see them again, but I always believed from the very beginning that if I, if I did my job right as a foster parent and these children were reunified with their family, um, if I had made that connection with, you know, with their biological family, if I made that connection with Candace, that I would get to see them again. It's not a goodbye. It would just be until next time. And now I kind of feel like I can maybe assume the role of cool aunt or something. So <laughs> <laughs> that's great. And, that's and also provide, provide respite for Candace when she needs it. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's really important because a lot of biological families may not have those, those family resources to draw upon when they need a little break or they need someone to take their kids. Yes, absolutely. And I, I did tell Candace that she needed a break at all because I know how, how tough it can get sometimes. I know how overwhelming it can get dealing with, you know, some behaviors that aren't, you know, that aren't that great. I told her, if you needed a break for a day or two or whatever, just let me know. I will take the kids for you so you can get a break. You can refresh yourself and you can go at it again because it, it is so helpful. I enjoyed those breaks so much when the kids are with me and we would take respite days because you just, you, sometimes you need a breather and it really helps reset you. And I might mention that foster parents too get, get a certain number of respite days they get when another foster parent could, um, could take their children. We also need to nurture our, our other relationships as well. And so at Utah Foster Care, we, we also really encourage people to care for themselves. Self-care is so important, again, especially during this pandemic. So anyway, um, Liz, what's the first thing you say to foster parents when they walk into your classroom? It's going to be hard. <laughs> but hard doesn't mean bad. Hard just means hard. And there's lots of things we do in life that are difficult but wonderful. And I just ask them to be excited um, for the opportunity. What Jamie said, you know, if you have a heart to help kids, but not just kids, their whole family, what an opportunity to make a difference in the life of an entire family. And in those classes, I might also mention you, you get to meet a lot of really neat people. Mm -hmm. You get to meet people from all walks of life. There's a lot of myths about foster care. And so I'd invite you, if you're, if you're just starting on your foster parenting journey, to go to our website, utahfostercare.org. We have a lot of good information there. And, you know, what you've heard about foster parenting may not, may not be the truth. It may be one of the myths. So we all can get informed. We all, the more we know, the more we can make an informed decision on whether or not we can become foster parents. So, well, I want to thank our guest today, Liz Rivera, uh, Director of Education for Utah Foster Care, Candace, the biological mother who now has two children back in her home, and we are just so proud of you, Candace. I hope you, I hope you know that and feel that. Thank you, guys. And also to Jamie, our foster mom. Jamie, I hope you know that 
not only have you strengthened the family, but you've strengthened your own, strengthened the community, the whole community of Utah. And that's why we do this work, to, to see successful stories like that. So thank you, Jamie. This has been Fostering Conversations with Utah Foster Care. Thank you for joining us. For more information, go to utahfostercare.org. We'll see you next time.